Okay, let us pray. Oh God, who in creating humility dignified it and still formed it, that we may be partaker of nature who deigned to partake of our human nature, Lord Jesus Christ. Smith and reign of unity, God throughout all ages of ages. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the action and direction of self-examination. I've given you copies in case you don't have either the St. Ambrose prayer book or the St. Augustine prayer book of this self-examination, which I think is the best form and format of it that's available. Uh, and usually when people ask me, what do I need to do to make confession? I usually hand them a copy of this and say, use this first, go through it. But before I start, and so I want to look at some details on it, but before I start, I want to read to you from St. Gregory of Sinai, because it sort of sets the stage for this. Many people, though they act in accordance with the commandments, are like wayfarers who seem to follow the way, yet remain outside a city, instead of reaching it. For they travel without sense or method, take wrong turnings at crossroads, and then deviate from the king's straight highway. In other words, they mistake vices for the actual royal road. Uh, when we follow this self-examination, we wind up being on the royal road. Remember, and I've said this before, Jesus' first commandment, and understand that in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and going into the New Testament period, the Jewish people understood a commandment to be a positive statement. We think of a commandment as thou shalt, thou shalt not. But just to say repent is a commandment in the Jewish mind of the first century A.D. So when Christ said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's considered a, a, a commandment. And that's the first thing he says in his ministry after his baptism, repent. Oh, we in America don't like that. American Christianity has told us that that's too negative. But that's the first thing he said, repent. And notice that's what orthodoxy stresses to us. It's for us to repent. So it, repentance, for all it entails, is a critical starting point. And self-examination is the beginning of repentance, that is, willing to look within ourselves to see everything in there that shuts God out, because that's what sin is. It is shutting God out. He is not going to violate our temples as long as we fill them with trash and refuse to clean house. There was, a, there was an Anglican theologian some decades ago, I don't know what happened to him, doesn't matter anymore as far as my theological reading goes, but he had a great metaphor, and that was that on repentance, metaphor on repentance, and he said, it's sort of like having Jesus come to the door of our house, and he knocks on the door, and we open the door to him, and we want to have a conversation with him at the entrance of the house, but he pushes himself past us into the house, and he goes to the closet where we pour, put all the junk and slam the door shut, and we don't want him to see that one. And he opens the closet and shines his light on it, and everything is out to see. He knows all the truth. I thought that was a great metaphor because that's really the way it is. We don't want to know what's, what our shortcomings are, and we don't want anybody else to know. But as we've tried to stress, every one of us in this room is a sinner in need of help, lots of help. So we just have to face up to that. And you know, 
when you, when you work together in any way at a parish, after a while, we all get to know each other real well. It's sort of like a marriage, you know? Uh, who, knows our, who knows our sins better than, than our spouses, uh, for those of us who are married? They know all too well. You know, no illusions. After 40-some years, there are no illusions. You know, I know you. Uh, so <clears throat> that's, that's the way it is. We don't, but our spouses can know us. Everybody in the parish can know us, and we don't know ourselves. And we don't want to know. We think it's too painful to see. We don't want to look. And yet, this is where life in Christ begins. After faith in him is repentance and looking at ourselves. Wow, they're totally, totally different from anything I ever expected. Um, uh, and I can tell you, after lots of years of doing repentance, I haven't died from it. So I'm still here. I can attest to it. It's been painful a few times, uh, and my wife has had to point out a few things, but uh, uh, I also trust her judgment. So uh, anyway, self-examination is a good summary of the beginning of what this is about. And it points out our basic sins. So you may read this and find different responses to it as you read it through. Uh, and as we go through it, it hints at what we must do in response. It doesn't really say it, but once you, we get to know what our sin patterns are and what our sins in our sin patterns are, uh, we can begin to ascertain what we need to do in our own lives. So there are three really basic steps to reading in reading in, in doing this kind of self-examination. One is to examine ourselves, examine ourselves, be willing to look inside. And number two, acknowledge and repent. That is, acknowledge means, uh, yeah, I did that. I do that. Uh, and, and repent means I'm willing to give this up to God, to have it healed. I'm willing to be changed. Instead of, you know, ah, oh, by God, I can't help myself, I'm only human, and, and if you love me, you'll put up with me. Well, <clears throat> that's, that's selfish. Uh, and the last one is then to pursue the virtue. When, when, when one uses the old confessional that I like to use uh, for the Western Rite, it, it, it says, it has a prayer, and I like the particular wording. They're, 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 they're all basically the same in the Western Rite, but some of them have just slightly different wording. And one of them says... I firmly purpose amendment of life. I really like those words. When we read a self-examination, what attends it also is I firmly purpose amendment of life. I intend to work on this. <laughs> so not only are we getting in trouble because we're seeing ourselves as we really are, but we're, we're saying before God, we intend to do something about this, at least from our end. <sighs> That's the hard part. So in any case... You have before you the seven deadly sins. And last time we looked at the, the definitions of those, and now I want to just look at the... Uh, uh, let me get my stuff sorted out here. I just want to look at, at, at the subtitles that are in this. And I may touch on just a couple. You can read them through, so I don't need to read all this for you, but just the subtitles. Pride. Pride is the, base, the basis of all sins. All sins are based on pride in some form. Uh, so irreverence, and one of the parts of the definition is deliberate neglect of worship of God every Sunday in his church. Deliberate. So, you know, if, if I've gotten exposed to COVID, I have to stay home. That's not deliberate. If I didn't feel like getting up this morning because I stayed up watching TV all night, that's deliberate. Okay, there's a difference. And so that's irreverence. 
I mean, when we consider what happens here and we get to take part in it, God becomes manifest in the bread and the wine. He makes himself known to us. We get to see it and touch it. That we have seen, that we have held with our hands, St. John says. We have seen it. We have participated in it. And there are people out there, millions of them, who don't even know about it, don't care. What a privilege has been given to us. And to say, well, I don't have time for that today because I stayed up too late last night. Um, that's irreverence. And it's also the sin of pride. There may come a time on, after Judgment Day when we'll be wishing that we had taken that time to do that small task. So, sentimentality, being satisfied with pious feelings and beautiful ceremonies without striving to obey God's will. Uh, <clears throat> you know, in ritual churches like ours, it's easy to get caught up in the ritual and get so caught up in the ritual that we live for the ritual. And yet the ritual opens us to God if we allow it to. And that's what we want. We want to be open to him. Uh, so, so when we have to make a, an adjustment of any sort, uh, we want to do what the church has handed down to us because it opens us to God. And it's experienced. I mean, the people have gone before us, have experienced this, and they know this. So, you know, somebody says, well, someone in our time, our daytime says, well, that Eucharistic stuff, that's all a bunch of hogwash, and I don't believe anything happens there, and there's a lot of ritual around it, and we need to get rid of all that stuff, and let's just have a spontaneous prayer meeting. I'm telling you, because I used to think that many, many years ago. Uh, and yet, when you look at the ancient writers, going all the back, way back to the beginning, they all did exactly what we do here. And they all, and many of them talk about it and had mystical experiences. So when they tell us this, you know, who's right? I or all the millions who have gone before me who participated in this truth? Where, where are the odds likely that someone's going to be right? The church or me? And yet we all approach this as if I make up all the, the truth. I determine the truth here. Well, we do sort of in the sense that I determine what I'm going to believe or not believe. It's sentimentality. We've got to have it feeling some certain way. We can't change the liturgy just because we don't feel anything. I guarantee you, God will make sure when we're dependent on feelings that we get in situations where we have to be faithful and feel nothing. I can tell you from experience, it was one of my major sins, sentimentality, and I needed to be purged from it. And for me, I'm hard-headed Irish. You know, you've got to pound me in the head a few times to get through to me. I feel like God has had to use a sledgehammer on me. Uh, presumption, dependence on self rather than on God with a consequent neglect of the means of grace, sacraments, and prayer. Distrust, refusal to recognize God's wisdom, providence, and love. And what is that question? How can a good God allow all this to happen? Well, it's a complex answer, but it has to do with free will. Do we want him to make it happen for us and then take over our lives and not give us any ability to respond in any way? I remember one time in one of my prayers, I, I thought, you know, I, I know what I need to pray to God, but I'm afraid of how he'll implement its fulfillment. So I actually struck a deal with him, and that is I'm going to say this prayer if, if you... If you are gentle with me, 
he, he, he was very gentle over a number of years. It took me years. It had to do with, I used to wear my hair in a ponytail and down the middle of my back. That's why I say I was Russian Orthodox before I was Orthodox. Uh, but anyway, I began to realize that for me it was an ego trip and, and pride was involved and I needed to get rid of it, but I just couldn't. I mean, my ego was so wrapped up in the way I looked, you know, I just, oh. So I knew I had to cut it, so I asked God to be gentle with me. Uh, and make me want to do it, uh, and then I just left it alone. Well, then people who know me can recall, they remember me when my hair then got cut to my shoulders, then it got cut to here, and then it got cut up here. I had it, used to wear it over the top of my ears until a parishioner about 30 years ago said, Father, you'll know you have arrived when you cut your hair over your ears. So, so that was sort of a mark for me. Uh, and it was hard to do. Anyway, that's, uh, dis and that's a part of it. Uh, distrust, disobedience. You can read all the rest of these, as I mentioned. Rejection of God's known will in favor of our own interests or pleasures. Impenitence, refusal to search out and face up to our sins or to confess and admit them before God. Vanity, crediting to ourselves rather than to God our talents, abilities, insights, accomplishments, good works. Arrogance, insisting that others conform to our wishes, recognize our leadership, accept our own estimate of our worth. You hear this in the ads all the time, uh, talking about positive reinforcement and making us feel good about ourselves. The best way we feel good about ourselves, the truest way, is to find out who we really are and know that God loves us and accepts us, and he's going to work in us exactly from that starting point. That's where a healthy ego starts. Not with this lie, the lies of our society that you can be whatever you want to be, and you're so good. Well, we are. God so loved the world, but at the same time, you see the tension. Snobbery, pride over race, family position, personality, education, skill, achievement, or possessions. You know, can anything good come out of the Irish? You know. Or better yet, can anything good to come out of New Orleans? <laughs> you knew it was coming, didn't you? <laughs> what happened to the gentle God showed you? Hey. And he's Scottish anyway. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. Celts are Celts. <laughs> and by the way, for those of you who want to nitpick on things like this, it should be the Boston Celts, not the Boston Celtics. That's an adjective form, and the word is pronounced incorrectly. So it's got a double error on it. Not to mention, they think that we all are looking like leprechauns, you know, and so the logo is a leprechaun with a shalala. Those are stereotypes. Uh, anyway, yeah, profiling, that's right. Even if we do fit the profile. <laughs> Anger, resentment, refusal to discern, accept, or fulfill God's vocation, dissatisfaction with the talents, abilities, or opportunities he has given us. Why wasn't I meant to be, you know, like Bishop Basil or something like that? Well, because I'm, I am, am who I am, and I'm not Bishop Basil, and I'm not any saint of the church. Uh, so I have to work on me, and I, it means I have to accept where I am. Everything I have is, is where I'm set up, my arena, as one Orthodox saint titles it, where my discipleship is determined by that. I see couples that think that they... They, they'll, get, they'll become better Christians when they have better spouses or if their spouses just get in line and, and learn what's right. What, what's wrong with that, right? <laughs> it, but 
very, the, in, in those situations, those are our arenas. That's where our discipleship is tested and made whole. So resentment is refusal to discern this as a vocation from God. Pugnacity, attack upon another in anger, murder in deed or desire. Combativeness or nursing of grudges, I won't forgive. Or the one I heard was, I will forgive, but by God, I won't forget. Well, that person may as well have been saying, I'm not forgiving, because that's what he meant. Retaliation, vengeance for wrongs real or imagined or the plotting thereof. What did the Lord say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If we really want vengeance on somebody, let God handle it. He'll take good care of it. The only problem is we got to let him do it his way on his time, and we might not get to see the outcome of it. But I assure you on Judgment Day, if we get to see it, we'll be sorry. We won't be happy for anyone suffering on Judgment Day. Envy, jealousy, offense at the talent, success, or good fortune of others. Malice, evil will, false accusations, slander, backbiting, reading false motives into others' behavior. I think I may have told you this story, but years ago I had to, I had to, I had to say some firm things to some people in a parish, and many of them left, and my name was denigrated all over the Metroplex. And in any case, I got real gun shy. Anytime someone would call me at that time, it was to say something really bad to me. Uh, and I got gun shy. So after all things settled down, people would call me to ask me simple questions. And I'd just react. It took me 10 years to get over that. Long after I left there and went to another city, people in the parish would call me and I'd, I'd cringe because what are they going to do? What are they going to say? What's this all about? I was so anxious about it. I was projecting on the situation. And what I learned was people would say, I need to talk to you right now. <laughs> so, so they'd come in and it was like, I don't know what car to buy, and I'm going to the, the, to buy a new automobile. You know, uh, I mean, it would be something inane like that had nothing to do with anything I suspected. So, so uh, reading other false motives into others' behavior, we do that all the time. If our wife or husband says, "Honey, I need to talk to you," what do we do? We knee jerk. Oh my God, what's she going to say now? You know? <laughs> Uh, so, anyway, we have to, that's the sin of malice. Contempt, scorn of another's virtue, ability, shortcomings, or failings. There are a lot of people who are better than we are, or farther along and have more talents and gifts and other circumstances. That's okay. Uh, we don't want to scorn that, because that's the sin of contempt. Covetousness, inordinate ambition. Notice the first word, inordinate not ambition, but inordinate ambition. Domination, seeking to use or possess others. For those of us who are parents, many times we try domination with our kids. Sort of a fine line, trying to figure out where your responsibility is and where you're going too far. That's <laughs> one of, the, that's one of the, the realms of discipleship for us, is figuring that out and hoping that our kids don't get scarred for life in the process by our foolishness, you know. <laughs> So, anyway, avarice, inordinate pursuit of wealth or material things, prodigality, waste of natural resources or personal possessions, 
extravagance or living beyond our income to impress others or to maintain status. Penuriousness, undue protection of wealth or security, undue. Gluttony, intemperance, overindulgence in food, drink, smoking, or other physical pleasures. Fastidiousness, fussiness, demanding excessively high standards or dilettantism. Lack of discipline, negligence in keeping the days of fasting or abstinence or failure to use other needed means of self-discipline. For those of you who remember when I did the class and I mentioned the, the, the Myers-Briggs type indicator, those who have P personality types tend to flock toward the sin of sloth. It's where we're comfortable, you know. I can say we because I'm a P, so receptive person. Lust. I, I dislike this definition just because it limits it to sex, but it's because it's lust. One can lust after material things. Uh, but anyway, staying with the examination, unchastity, violation of the church's marriage laws in thought or in deed. Jesus made it clear that a thought's just as sinful as a deed. Immodesty, sexual stimulation by sexual desire in others by word, dress, or actions in oneself by reading pictures or fantasies, collecting or recounting dirty stories. I, before I became Orthodox, some of the worst recounters of lurid sexual stories were priests. Um, and unfortunately, I heard a few of those stories, and they still hang around in my mind, and they show up from time to time, and I wish that baggage were not there. I am grateful that I've never heard that since I've been Orthodox. So, anyway, that we could all be guilty of that. Prudery, uh, cruelty, sloth, the refusal to respond to our opportunities for growth or sacrifice or sort of laziness, <laughs> indolence in performing spiritual, mental, or physical duties, or neglect of family, business, or social obligations or courtesies, procrastination of dislike, dislike tasks. So. Even coming to church can be a dislike task because we have to get up and get dressed and get the kids ready and get moving and do all the stuff it takes to get here. Uh, so laziness, we'd rather stay home. Indifference, unconcern over injustice to others, especially that caused by currently accepted social standards or unmindfulness of the suffering of the world. Well, at the very, doesn't, you know, one needs to be careful with some of these things because Sometimes we feel guilty, and then we feel false guilt, and we don't really do the right things in response to these. Uh, if we look at these, where is my paper here? Put it on the board, the seven, they're called the seven deadly sins because they separate us from God. And remember that death separates us from God. Death is separation from God. Life is being united with God and open to him. So these are the sins that undermine the whole process of separation. And there are corresponding virtues. So pride is humility. Knowing this, then we know where we have to go. Wow. You know, it was sort of like Patton in that opening statement. When you see any toxic, gory situation happening to your best friend, he said, you'll know what to do. When we hear, see pride in ourselves, we know what we have to do. When we, see, when we experience anger in ourselves, acceptance of the circumstances. Envy, thanksgiving for what we have and where we are and what we've got to deal with. It's enough. Don't you think? <laughs> it's enough. 
What we've been handed is enough. Yeah, covetousness, stewardship. And I don't mean stewardship is in money. It, it includes that, but everything is stewardship. There's a stewardship of every action of the Christian faith, a way to do it, a way to understand it, a way to respond to it, and a way to manhandle it in a proper and healthy way. It's called stewardship. And so covetousness is, oh, I wish I had a new car, wish I had a better home, wish I had another wife, wish I had another, you know, better kids, whatever our things are. Uh, and stewardship is, let's give it our best right now. Right now, let's give it our best, because we're doing it not for ourselves or for these circumstances, but for God. Gluttony, self-control. The church has Lent, uh, and that's a good time for us to learn if we really want to. It's good impetus to do it. Lust, submitting to God's order. Uh, we're in a society that's obsessed. Let's just keep the definition at, 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 the, at sex. We're in a society that's obsessed with sex. Uh, and so it's constantly trying to encourage us to accept norms and values that are contrary to that, to the contrary to God's order. And it's surprising how many Christians buy into that without even thinking about it. And when we do, that's fine. We're free to go do what we want, but we need to know there's a price. We cannot know God while doing that. It isn't going to happen. We're opening ourselves up to deception when we think it does. God's order is not meant to be surprised. You know, I used to think God was this nasty old guy up there uh, with long white beard uh, who, who didn't want me to have any fun. <laughs> On the contrary, God wants us to have fun. He wants us to know life as he meant it to be. But we don't get it our way. And we don't get him our way. And lastly, sloth. The way to counter sloth is to do all of the above. <laughs> wow, I, I can't. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a mess. I can't do that. God help me. Now you got it. <laughs> Remember I told you that story about the... Uh, no, I mean, there's another story. The one there's an old Protestant story about the guy who 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 uh, who came to Judgment Day, and he and he and he and Saint Peter met him at the pearly gates, and Saint Peter said, "Every virtue you have has corresponding points. You need hundred points to get into heaven." And he, so Saint Peter said, "So tell me what you've done." And the guy said, "Well, I was on the vestry for parish council for." 30 years. Well, that's worth one point. The guy said, well, I prayed sometimes. And St. Peter said, well, that's worth a quarter of a point. So St. Peter asked him about 30 questions, and he, his, his points amounted to about like five. And finally, in desperation, he said, oh, but for the grace of God, I'll never get in. St. Peter said, that statement is worth 95 points. Come on in. So I'm not espousing a salvation by faith alone, because for us, faith is all of this too. Uh, but there's a starting point, and there's a way for us to see this and understand it. So in any case, doing the above, sloth is doing the above, and it assumes, it assumes that we understand who this Christ is. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? We've got to get that resolved first. Then all this begins to make sense.
Because if Christ isn't God, then what we did in there and what we're going to do in Holy Week makes no sense and there's no, there's no value to it. But if that's God that goes to the way of the cross, then there's value here, an incredible value that we don't want to miss. So in any case, self-examination is a step in opening ourselves to God. So when you look at this and you start to be overwhelmed, <laughs> remember that we're opening ourselves to God. That's what we have to remember. And with something else, when we do this, we become like Adam, co-creators with God. You know, I love the, in the Eastern Rite, you go into an Eastern Rite church and you look over the altar and on the wall behind the altar is this image of the mother of God sitting there with her hands out like this and the Christ child in her lap. And of course, if we come out of a good Protestant tradition, we might say, well, those people worship Mary instead of Jesus. That's not true. Mary is the epitome of all of humanity, of the church. And, and she is sitting there with the Christ child, the incarnate God in her lap. She is a co-creator. She's the throne of God incarnate. We even in the Western Rite in litanies call her that throne of God. And she's holding her arms out because she stands on behalf of God and with him as co-creator, just like all of us must be. So that's an image of the glorification of humanity in this story. That's you and me. Wow. I don't feel so glorious. Well, that's, that's not the point. <laughs> so we become co-creators with God. And we do what Adam didn't do in the beginning. And this is a step in encounter with God. Now, remember some things that the direction of Lent is Good Friday. It's Good Friday. We, everything we're doing is culminating in, on, toward Good Friday. And the cross is the way that God leads us, the way of the cross. The church has had wisdom to tell us to save this truth for us. So that we don't go somewhere else and do something else. Remember from the Kenosis chapter, second, chapter 2 of Philippians, have this mind in yourselves which was in Christ Jesus. And then Jesus' own words, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. If we enter into this, we'll find life. If we don't enter into it, we won't. So what I would tell you about this, this examination is review the text regularly. Now, you do it as it fits you. Weekly, if you're going to do it weekly, Fridays are a good day because in the Western tradition, we have, we have days when there are no saints celebrated. Uh, we have certain masses that are assigned for those days, and Friday is the Mass of the Cross. So it's a good time to do self-examination. <laughs> At least I find it helpful to remember Friday is the time to do that. So just, just an FYI there. Everybody's different. What works for you may be different than what works for me. List which sins refer to self. Keep in mind the corresponding virtues. So we're not trying to beat ourselves down. We're trying to open ourselves to God by getting rid of the things that shut the doors. Admit. Don't try to explain or justify. It's not anyone's fault. Remember, that was Adam's mistake. The, the woman you gave me, and she said it was the serpent. 
just admit it. If it strikes you, admit it. If it doesn't strike you, let it go. And don't falsely accuse. Don't go digging for how does this apply to me. Just, just let it happen. Just read it and let it happen. Believe me, it, there'll be enough on the list for you. <laughs> I assure you. And lastly, resolve to pursue the relevant virtue. Remember those words I said to you. Purpose amendment of life. You have to resolve to pursue the intended virtue. Now, I, I end here with a quote from St. John Chrysostom. He said, thou, it's a prayer. He said, thou biddest me to open the doors which thou alone hast made, and thou dost enter with thy love for man. Thou dost enter and enlighten my darkened reasoning. I believe that thou wilt do so, for thou didst not turn from the harlot when she came to me, thee with tears. Neither didst thou reject the publican who repented, nor the thief who, when he acknowledged thy kingdom. Do thou then despise the... Dust, dust. I, I got a word here. I can't read my own handwriting. Sorry. Uh, didst thou then despise, the, nor, did the, nor didst thou despise the persecutor when he was converted, meaning St. Paul. But all who came to thee in repentance, thou didst reckon among thy friends. Wow. That's what self-examination. We say we are friends of God, and we are coming to our best friend of all best friends, uh, and opening ourselves to, really to ourselves, because he already knows. <laughs> you know, when we confess our sins, we're not telling God anything new. <laughs> we're telling us something new. That's the point. Anyway, so much for that. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Anytime you feel inspired by that, some, for some of us, we can put it off, and you know, I, I don't know. I, if if procrastination is one of the sins you're dealing with, then probably putting it off is not a good idea. Uh, Well, I was going to say something. Let me, let me, let me interject because it involves you. So my thought is, he knows you better than I do. Take it up with him, and, and between the two of you, work out a plan. Uh, and he will tell you what he thinks you need. And then for you at that point is to do exactly what he says. Because pride says, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, and I know better than he does. And that's, that's mistake number one. So let him let him set the standard, then follow that as best you can. You know, for and for everyone, you know, use the word examination. Yeah. You know, I will be going through self-examination, and I'll recognize a sin in my life in any day, almost every day, right? And there, there's sometimes that the Lord soothes that, 
I keep walking. There are other times the burden in my conscience won't let loose. That's the first indication you ought to talk to me about maybe doing confession. Examination of conscience, because the Holy Spirit is that voice of our conscience we've been given. So that's just another layer. Of course, this is a self-examination for a number of things, not just sacramental confession, but even just general repentance. So uh, that would set the standard, more or less. For many of us, we just need to be able to look at ourselves and know what we do and ask God to admit it and ask God to forgive us. And then sacramental confession needs to be a way in which the humility aspect gets entrenched in our souls. That's why we have it in the church. Just remember, too, as, as we've said before, in the early church, you confessed in front of the whole congregation, so count your lucky stars. <laughs> it's just one person listening to us now. Um, and he's heard it all, so you can't shock him. You know, that's, that's the first thing we think of is, my God, what will he think of me? You know, he's heard it all. We've all heard it all. Everybody else in this room has heard it all, you know. So nobody's surprised. So anyway. Anything else? Sorry, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad tidings by bringing all this up. It's actually good tidings. So. Anyway. Just bring this to confession. Yeah, yeah, just go down. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, you just, re just read it to him. That'll be his penance to have to listen to it. <laughs> anyway, thank all and have a blessed Holy Week.